Well, I invite you now to turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Last week we took a, a jumped ahead briefly in Philippians to the uh, fourth chapter to talk about stewardship issues in preparation for this morning's pledge time. This week we're going to jump back to where we were in Philippians chapter 3 to talk about citizenship issues. In fact, we'll talk about the reality that through Jesus Christ, through faith in Him, we can have the high status of being citizens of heaven. And indeed, if our trust is in Christ, we have that status. And then the Apostle Paul will call us as we look in our verses today to live as citizens of that realm, that heavenly realm, not simply as citizens of this world. So I invite you to turn with me to Philippians. It's in the New Testament after uh, Acts and Romans, well before you get to Hebrews, though. You can stand with me, if you would, in recognition of God's word, its power, its truth. And I will read aloud as you read along silently with me. Philippians chapter 3, we'll look at verses 17 through 21 this morning. Brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. You may be seated. As you do, let me pray once again for our time looking at the Scriptures. Father, we praise You that You have given us this high calling. Let us see it more and more clearly as we look at your word today. Transform us, grow us in truth, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Daniela, who some of you have met in our church family in recent weeks, is not from this country. She grew up in Brazil and is from there. She gave me permission to share a brief story about her adventures in the last number of weeks trying to get herself and her infant son, Joe, back to Brazil for a visit. Daniela moved here in college and is married to Todd, who's an American. She's lived here for years. Recently, her father, who all the the children, all of Daniela's siblings have moved away now from where he is in Brazil, her father contacted her and said that he was really missing her and would love to see the new baby. You get that kind of message, you're ready to do whatever it takes to go and to be there, and so Daniela did just that driving down to Pensacola where her sister lives and using that as a sort of base to get paperwork she needed to get for herself and little Joe from Montgomery, driving over to Atlanta to contact the passport office there, and then driving all the way down to the Brazilian consulate in Miami to get that paperwork put together for the trip. Well, after all this rigmarole, traveling to these 
different cities organizing all of these things, planning for the trip. She wasn't able to get the paperwork that she needed. They weren't going to be able to give it to her in time, and so she had to cancel the trip. As these things go, no sooner did she cancel the trip than she ran into an acquaintance, shared with that acquaintance who was also from Brazil about the situation. And the friend said, oh, no, Daniela, if only you had talked to me a few days before. I have a friend that works in the Brazilian consulate in Miami. We could have gotten it all taken care of for you right away. Maybe we've been there trying to get a license, trying to get a form through some bureaucracy or some government agency. And we know we're standing there looking in that line. And we know that if we just knew somebody behind that desk, this could all go a lot more quickly. In fact, we probably wouldn't even have to be standing here. And maybe you've even been in that position where you had to get something done on a deadline or you had to get that form filled. And somebody you knew or maybe even somebody you didn't know who works behind that desk offered to help out and took things on through for you. So too, when we look at this passage today and read about our citizenship in heaven, we're reminded that we have a high standing not because we stood in the right line, not because we filled out the right piece of paperwork, But we have a high standing in Christ because Jesus, if you will, works inside the consulate of heaven. He makes sure that we have this status of citizens. And it's not just that we get a passport, not just that we get a visa for a temporary stay or even a green card, but Jesus secures our full citizenship. And so that's what we want to look at today. What are the implications of that? What are the implications of the reality of it for our lives? And if you'd like to follow along with me, you can look in your worship guide. There's a section of sermon notes. The main idea of these verses is pretty straightforward this week. And that is that through Christ, very important, through Christ, we've got to start the sentence there. Through Christ, our citizenship is in heaven. And so we should live like it. Our citizenship is in heaven, and so we should live like it. Well, what keeps us from living like it? What keeps us from understanding and recognizing this high status that we have and then living it out in our lives? Well, you might just not be aware that you have that status, or we might have that status but not realize what a tremendous privilege it is to be called a citizen of heaven. What a thing it is for Jesus to be inside that consulate for us. Now, we may not be, as Paul describes in these verses, and we'll look in a minute, enemies of the cross. We might not think of ourselves that way, but neither are most of us, myself included, model citizens of heaven either, are we? We tend to prefer to have some sort of spiritual neutrality, a spiritual Switzerland, if you will, that we can live in and sort of be keeping 
our feet in this world and sort of be keeping our feet in the spiritual world. Or maybe on Sunday, keeping our feet in one world and the rest of the week, keeping it in another. Well, the scriptures remind us, folks, all over the place. I'm just going to highlight a few for sake of time today. That this reality of our citizenship in heaven makes us strangers and aliens in this world. And there's got to be a rub there. There's going to be a separation there. And that influences the way that we live. Listen to just a couple of these passages. If you want to, you can follow along with me. Take a look at John chapter 17. John chapter 17. This is Jesus' high priestly prayer that he lifts up and prays for these early believers and says that he's also praying for us who would come after them. This is near the time of his trial and crucifixion as he pleads with God. Listen to one of the things he prays in verse 14 of John 17. He's praying to God. He says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Then he goes on in verse 17, and he says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they too may be sanctified in truth. Aliens in this world, but here on purpose to walk with God and to extend his message to the world. First Peter, we read earlier in the worship service, it was part of our assurance of pardon this morning. First Peter chapter 2, I'll turn there and read a few verses of it again to you. It says, you're a holy, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous life. Once we were not a people, it tells us, but you are God's people now. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And then verse 11 of that passage that we didn't read this morning. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. In case you think this is just a New Testament issue, in Psalm 119, verse 19, the writer of Psalms just says this, I am a stranger on earth. And the writer of Hebrews in chapter 11, one other passage I'll share with you, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 11, this is the chapter that catalogs all these early uh, people of the church, Abraham and Moses, who had gone and seek to walk by faith. And it says this in verse 13 of Hebrews 11. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For the people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they'd been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, he's talking about the promised land, the earthly kingdom, they would have had opportunity to return. Then verse 16, but as it is, they desire a better country, 
That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Just a couple of verses that remind us of what Jesus does for us in calling us out. It's a great privilege to be called and numbered citizens with Jesus. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But there's also a rub. We live in a world that's constantly drawing us into its kingdom, into its realm, to be citizens of its ways. Let's talk about that first and the call in these Philippian verses to turn away from a treasonous lifestyle. Again, if you want to follow along in your worship guide, you can. We want to talk first about turning away from a treasonous lifestyle that tempts us at every point. And we'll talk about living as citizens of heaven and lastly, finding model citizens that we can follow along the pathway. First thing we see in this Philippians passage in verses 18 and 19, again, we're back in Philippians chapter 3. It says, For many of whom I have often told you and now even tell you with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is their destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Quite a description, isn't it? And again, if we are in Christ, we are not citizens of this realm, but we are tempted to be drawn in to the behaviors and lifestyles. We're tempted to be treasonous against the kingdom of God. These verses describe that position. One description is that they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. What's the opposite of that? What's the opposite of being an enemy of the cross of Christ? To love, to cherish, to embrace the cross. What Jesus said and called when he told us to take up our cross daily, that's part of that walk. It says their end is their destruction. Their end is destruction. That's where they're headed. Folks, it's so easy isn't it, to get very, very comfortable in this life and the things of this life and forget that all of this is passing away. All of this will be remade. It's not lasting. It's not lasting. And then it says the, their God is their belly. That's an interesting one. They have a Significant gluttony issue? Is that what's going on in this Philippian church? Well, you know, maybe that's part of it. But I think what the Apostle Paul is trying to get at is something deeper. He's trying to get at the fact that part of living in this world and being in this body, the body's not messed up in itself, but it's corrupted by sin, is that we have drives, we have desires, we have propensities, like that belly that gets hungry, that can take control of us, become our God. We make them our God instead of the living God. Saying this is what it looks like in a dangerous path of the treasonous lifestyle. To put it another way, the problem that we have is making a God of our appetites and the solution to it it's not that we just stifle that or that we figure out some way to stymie it, but that we ultimately direct all our appetites, all the things that seem to flow out of us towards the living God. We say we want him to be our delight. We will have our fill of him, and we will be satisfied. 
Last thing we see here is that they glory in their shame. Do I even need to begin to go in to the myriad of ways in our culture that we glory in things that are so shameful to God, so objectionable to Him? I'll just mention one in one area. In, in, in past weeks, we've talked about our propensity to accumulate, to have endless greed and have constant discontentment and lack of complete lack of thankfulness. That's one way we glory in our shame. We keep running after the material things of this life. should be shameful to us, but instead we find our glory in it. Another one I can think of was some years ago, this would have been back in the mid-90s, and a friend of, of mine showed me this in a particular sports magazine. It was an advertisement for an upcoming line of TV shows. And you could barely discern the image when you first looked at it, but after a minute it certainly caught your attention or caught men's attention that it was designed to. It was the image of a woman's midsection kind of back behind this ad that you could see and make out. The interesting thing, the shocking thing, was the title at the top of that advertisement. We guarantee on this new TV network with this new lineup, we guarantee to break more commandments in one night than any other station. Things like that are helpful for us sometimes because there's those areas of our lives where we're taking things that ought to be shameful and we're making them into our glory. We're trying to glory in them. Apostle Paul says that's the way of the treasonous lifestyle. And folks, that's not our homeland. That's not the place that we are citizens of if we are in Christ. And so he wants to call us out of that. Look with me at verse 20. We'll talk for a minute about living as citizens then of heaven. Look with me at verse 20. It says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Now you all probably aren't going to remember this. I barely remember saying it, but way back when, when we started this series through Philippians, way back in August, I guess it was, when I shared with you about the Philippian city. We said that there was something special about Philippi. There had been one of these big Roman battles in this location where Philippi is. That's why it was named Philippi after Philip. And because of that battle being fought in this place, Philippi, the folks who the Apostle Paul is writing to here, the Philippians, had a special status. If you lived in Philippi, you weren't on Italian or Roman soil, but all the things that applied to Roman life, as if you were in Rome, applied in Philippi. It was just as if you were located in that other place. So when Paul writes to these Philippians, they were people that were familiar generally with the concept of having been granted this high status that they didn't really deserve at all. They just happened to be the location of a battle, and a city sprang up there, and then they had the high status for the rest of their day. Now, like us, 
they forget. Over the years, over the centuries of being that special city, after a while you kind of take it for granted, wouldn't you? Yeah, that's, that's kind of established. Be easy to forget special citizenship status that they had. So they needed reminders of it from Paul, just like we need reminders. And we need reminders along the way, I think, of our special status as well. A uh, number of years ago, I guess maybe six or seven, some of you were on this trip, uh, I had a, had a chance to be a part of leading a trip down to an island off the coast of Honduras. Uh, we went down there to do a medical missions trip, and the leader of our trip, a missionary in Central America, he happened to be from that island where he grew up. So his aunts and uncles and family lived there. But we were going there to do this missions clinic, this medical work, and some other uh, sharing of the gospel in schools and so forth. And we arrived there and found out pretty early on that our missionary trip leader, his one uncle, was a lobster boat fisherman, had a big, huge, fancy boat. Other uncle was a shrimp boat fisherman. His other uncle on his mom's side, I think it was, was the governor of the whole island that we were going to be on. Now, I'll tell you, we were aliens in that place. If you go on a mission trip or you just travel somewhere to a foreign country, a foreign place, you know what it feels like. Even as we did the medical clinic, we didn't look the same way as the people there. We certainly didn't speak the same language. We didn't talk the same way. We felt our alien status in that world. But it was interesting. Every day at lunchtime, we would gather back at our missionary leader's aunt's house. She had a pretty simple residence, but it was on a beautiful patio. Looking down about a half a mile away, you could see over the palm trees right into the ocean, and the cool breeze came through. And every day for lunch, we had fresh king mackerel straight out of the ocean, shrimp fresh out of the ocean, lobster salad. We were suffering for Jesus on this trip, I can tell you that. It was a reminder every day. We were foreigners in this place, but somebody's with us. Somebody's watching out for us in a special way, even in this strange territory. Then, the end of the week, the creme de la creme, we were going to, sincerely, we really were, we were going to go and treat with some extra funds. You always have those high school girls that go on the trip and raise way more money because they send out all those letters. So we had an extra bit of money, and we were going to take everybody that helped us with the trip. Uh, all the Honduran folks helped us with the medical clinic. We were going to take them out to a nice dinner. When I say nice, it was probably, you know, 15, 18 bucks a plate, but very nice meal for them and for us as well. So we went, got all that food. Everybody around this big table spread of the best stuff you could get in that part of Honduras, and it was wonderful. I went to pay the bill at the end, which was going to be several hundred dollars for all that group, and they said it had already been taken care of. The other uncle, the governor of the island, had covered it. Put it on the Honduran government, as a matter of fact. <laughs> We're foreigners. In that place, you see what I'm saying? But somebody was watching out for us at every turn. Somebody who ran things there really didn't necessarily look like it from day to day, but ran things there 
that's taking care of us. Same thing, folks. If we're citizens of heaven through faith in Jesus, we have a Savior that watches out for us. It tells us specifically here that we await Him, so we look for Him, look for Him to work in our lives and look for Him to come one day in His fullness. It tells us He'll transform our lowly bodies to be like His glorious bodies, and and He'll do this by the power that enables Him to subject all things. So you say, how can I possibly do this? We can do it because we look to Jesus and because Jesus has power to do a transforming work in us even now. One last thing the Apostle Paul urges us to that will help us on this journey, on this way of living in this foreign land, wanderers and strangers. He says that it's really helpful if you have somebody else who's maybe been there a little while longer, who can maybe show you around, show you where you need to go. If you've been on a trip or been to a foreign place, you know how wonderful it is, especially if you get a little lost, to run into somebody that's been there a little bit longer than you are. And maybe they can connect up and help you out. Look with me at verse 17, Philippians chapter 3. Paul begins, actually, this passage by saying, Brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Now, Paul has just said in verse 12 that he has not already obtained anything. He's saying there's nothing inherently special about me. But as he says in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. Folks, one specific thing out of these verses that we need, all of us, I need, You need, whether you're new and young in the faith or whether you feel like you've been in the faith for a while and are mature in it, is you need somebody ahead of you, somebody that you can look towards. We look to Jesus, but Jesus also says one of the ways he shows his grace to us is by giving us other people around us. Folks, if you don't have somebody, maybe it's a Bible study leader, maybe it's somebody you've asked to meet with you one-on-one to help you begin to grow in the faith, Maybe it's somebody that's in a certain area, your profession, that's a a believer and is trying to be a believer in your area of work. Or maybe it's another mom for some of the moms here that's uh, maybe a little ahead of you and figuring out what it means to be a mom in the Lord. Whatever it is, if we don't have people that are ahead of us, we're not going to be able to walk as citizens in this world. It'll be challenging for us. Let me conclude with this and... I'll go ahead and get this out there a couple of weeks early. We're coming up on, uh, as I know, having been here sometime in Alabama, the biggest self-inflicted division of our state coming in a couple of weeks here, known as the Iron Bowl. And I'm actually going to invite you to zoom ahead. Picture that day, if you will. You've got your face painted with your team colors. You've got every bit of clothing with that logo on that you can possibly adorn yourself with. You head out to the game with the flags coming off the side of your windows in your vehicle, and you hold a ticket in hand for that big game. But as you walk into the stadium, your friends that came with you down to the stadium and had tickets as well Head off in another direction. You've got a ticket you didn't realize that's a ticket for the student section of the opposing team. 
Now, you want to see the game. And you go sit down in the section. But at those parts where everybody around you is cheering at things, you don't really feel much like cheering for those parts. And at those parts that you get really excited about and jump up and shout, nobody seems to be standing around you to feel out of place in that section. But you know, you have confidence that your team is going to win in the end. But folks, this is a picture of what it's like for us to walk as aliens in this life. Only it's no accident that we've ended up in this section that we live in, this world that we live in. It's God's perfect plan for us, even though we feel the tension and the rub of it, that by His grace we would be citizens of heaven in this world that sometimes seems hellish to us and that seems to elicit in us even hellish impulses that we can, if we're in Christ, walk as citizens of heaven in it. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we do praise You and rejoice in You, Lord, that You give us this high standing and status that we've got no claim to in ourselves. In fact, we ought to be just kicked out completely and condemned. But instead, Lord Jesus, You went to the cross to uh, enable us to be citizens of heaven. Oh, Lord, help us to think that way, to look that way. Oh, Lord, we're told by our world that we can be so heavenly-minded that we're no earthly good. Oh, Lord, help us to be so much more heavenly-minded that we might actually be some earthly good for your kingdom, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.